On our 100th episode of ADD Comedy with Dave Rosowski and Ian Foley, Dave interviews actress Nia Vardalis. Nia is an Academy Award-nominated screenwriter for her breakout film, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, the screenwriter for the films and starring roles in My Life in Ruins, I Hate Valentine's Day, which she also directed, and Connie and Carla, co-starring Tony Collette. With Tom Hanks, Nia co-wrote Larry Crown. She can also be seen in Law & Order Special Victims Unit. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. So you remember I was saying, I really want to get um, Richard Kind on the podcast. I really love to have him on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, I'm going to find him. I'm going to find Richard Kind. I'm going to find him. I, I know I'm going to bump into him somewhere. Right. I know I'm going to bump into him somewhere. And I know he lives in New York, but whatever. So I was thinking about him while I was in New York. And um, I go out to drink at this bar. And it's about 1 o'clock in the morning. And he walked in? And he walked in. <laughs> yeah. And he walked in. Yeah, oh. that's pretty cool. So did he do the podcast? Thing? No, because I didn't have anything set up and I was loaded and he was loaded and it was just fucking loaded. We but that's, loaded. isn't that cool that, um, you know that thing when you walk in through an airport and you think you see someone you know mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, that's so strange. That really looks like that person. I love that serendipity, that thing where you go, that, I can't believe that just happened. Where you look at somebody and go, that, there's, there's a spirit that's beyond, uh, there's a spirit that's beyond all of us. I completely believe that. Mm -hmm. I think that there's something going on and you can either listen to it or ignore it. Right. But I don't believe in fate. I believe that you make choices that take you closer to where you're supposed to be. I don't like the idea of fate because I think that it takes me out of the equation. Yeah. Another one is hope. Hope takes me out of the equation as well. Oh, I'm very hopeful. You're not hopeful? No. Interesting. I'm not, I'm, but I'm not, you know, me, I'm not, not positive. Right. I'm just not hopeful because I look at hope and I say, oh, I hope that I get this thing. No, I've worked too hard to just rely on hope. That's, I, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Manny, can you lie down, puppy? Can you lie down? Um, I think, because I hear a lot of, it's sort of like saying, I hope I win the lottery. All right, that's hope. That's, you're becoming a victim. Oh, I love with that. Hope. You know what happened to me two nights ago on the plane? I'm sitting, uh, I got a very la last minute flight to leave Phoenix to come home to be with my daughter. I was supposed to film, film, uh, leave the next morning. So I got on the flight, got on quickly, and the cinematographer was sitting up, up front. And I sat in the seat and there was a guy beside me. He was a very large man sitting in the exit row. And as soon as I sat down, he just started. Like, you know, just on the make. On the make, and it's and I on don't the make. Get, oh yeah, but I don't get flattered by that because it's like it's in. They just cast a wide net. Right. That type of guy. He's flirting with the, the flight attendant. He's flirting with a woman across the row. He's flirting with me. And like, eh. So I put in my headphones, and um, I, I I was polite, but at some point I just thought it's got to stop. So I put in my headphones, and uh, I have a wedding ring, which he sees when I put in my headphones. So he goes, uh, "Oh, so you're married?" And I'm like, mm, "Can't hear you. I have to work. You know, can't hear you." And so I'm watching my computer, and then the flight attendant comes by and does the universal would you like a drink sign, right, in front of me. Right. So I take out my headphones. I turn to her and say, I'll have a water. Just as she leans away from me to get the water, he leans into me and goes, it's dark. And he goes, I bet you're a good kisser. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I just thought, this is a moment for me to teach my daughter, because that what happens next is what predators do. I said, oh, you have crossed the line. And he goes, oh, come on. I'm just telling you. I'm just asking you a question. I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, <gasps> which is what a predator does. They right. make you feel stupid for reacting. They and gaslight I you. Said, That's right. And I said, actually, I don't feel uncomfortable. You're uncouth. And I was so proud of myself. Just so, like, fuck it. No. Right. 
So I said to the flight attendant, hey, is there another seat? Because I should have just asked it from the beginning. And she said, let me check, which is so interesting that she knew immediately, woman, it's not comfortable here. Right. So she starts come looking. She comes back. He's talking, talking. I've got my headphones on. He I don't know he what he says. He doesn't, hear, he doesn't hear what just happened. I, I, when I say he doesn't hear it, he hears it. He doesn't register what just happened. Exactly. You asked the flight yeah, attendant. Yeah, he goes, hey, you can't blame a guy for taking a shot. Oh, come Then on, he starts on. saying, hey, guess what? My wife is beautiful, too. My wife, and, it, and then just weird. He goes, my wife is a juicy piece, just like you. Shut up. Shut Not up. drinking. Shut drinking up. water. Shut up. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. So then I thought, and why I triggered is because you, what you said about victim, hope right. of victim. Right, right. She came back and said, there isn't another seat. But if you really want to move, I can have someone switch with you. And I said, you know what? No, I'm not going to move. And I turned to him and I said, but you're going to behave. And I stayed in my seat. And I was shaken inside because I was like, I'm not moving. And I stayed and that was it. How long was the flight? 50 minutes. Oh, it's a nice short flight. Nice short flight, yeah. I can't believe the chutzpah that people have. And I cannot believe, like growing up, you grew up in nice Canada. Right. You know, I grew up in Chicago where you'd be in a car with somebody, and you probably have experienced this. Ian Foley's with us today. Um, you probably experienced this. Um, being in a car, in the passenger seat of a car, or driving a car, and your buddies when you're in high school, they'd see a woman pass by, and they'd lean over and honk the horn. Yeah. And I'm going, fuck, dude. <laughs> and they're like, He's, or roll down the window and shout shit at people. Yeah, that's... I don't get the fuck... It's mindless. And that pisses me off. And it doesn't get you laid, gents. It just doesn't. It doesn't has, has there ever been a moment? See, so it's, you're right. It's a hostile gesture. Right. Now, if women catcall at a guy, that's not a hostile. It's not the same. When a construction worker whistles at me, it's like, you know what? That's okay. It's okay to say, hey, I find you attractive. That's okay. And if we mm-hmm. go to a point where we're so politically correct that we don't tell each other that I get it. you're attracted, attractive, that's wrong. And at some point, by the way, when we're all in our walkers, we're going to be like, damn, I wish someone would whistle at me. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'll give you a fiver. Just whistle oh, at a me. Fiver? Is that a, a new fiver. name for a handjob? Yeah. I'll give you a gummer. I'll give you a gummer. <laughs> Please whistle at me. Uh, I, I, I feel, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm hearing guys do that, I just want to stop them and say, do you have a sister? Yeah. Do, you have a, do you have a sister? Do you have a mother? Yeah. Do you have an aunt? Do you have a daughter? Yeah, yeah. And, so and I understand women the, politi- too. the, political, the yeah. political correctness too. Yeah. But when women objectify men too, there is a moment of like, uh, do you have a brother? Would you? Yeah. How often does that happen? I see it in casting. I see it in casting a lot. Uh-huh. That men will come in. I've seen casting directors, um, male and female, flip through headshots and just be like... No, no. Who wants to sleep with him? We had that problem with John Corbett in my Big Fat Greek Wedding. We had several people not know that he was the chick magnet that he is. Like, you either are attracted to a type or you're not, right? Mm -hmm. And John, from Aiden, from Sex and the City, his character hadn't exactly arced yet, but he was on when we we had him in the movie. And then when we were getting released, I remember... People being like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to market this thing. I don't know how to market this thing. Just put him on the poster. Are you kidding me? Right. That's different than a cat call, though. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. So, But I've seen objectification of men, definitely, um, when they come in the room and they're good looking and women don't realize that that's a person. 
person. I know. That's the whole thing. Yeah. That that's a person. Yeah. When we were casting My Life in Ruins, just to name drop another movie, we cast Alexi Georgiulis, who's like the Tom Cruise of Greece. Like, he's mm-hmm. super famous. We had a casting director there put a bunch of actors on tape, and we were in the States eating lunch, watching these actors audition with the script. And I remember we all stopped in our tracks when he came on because he's magnetic. Not just he's, yes, he's beautiful, but he's, there's something about him. You watch him. Right. And we didn't know who he was. We didn't know that he was super famous. And we all stopped and were watching his performance and just murmuring to each other like, oh, my God. Now, we might have done that if he was in the room and not realized that that's wrong. Right? Right. We might have. But you're casting. So you yeah. want to have that visceral feeling because yeah. you're also you're at the you're looking at this person, and he's also matching up with a bunch of things that you're thinking about. That's right. You know. That's right. So oh no, Louis. Oh, you know what it is? Soccer is letting out, and everybody's leaving. Got it. So that's why he's going. It's all good. Crazy. All right. Um, every everybody always feels like this is a conversation anyway, and mm-hmm. it's not like we're in the studios in NPR. So, uh, Louis, Louis getting in on it. Louis has things to say. Yeah. Louis like, listen, I hate it when people pet me. I want them to love me for my dog breath, not for my super soft fur. I love them so much. Puppies. Uh, I got a, somebody, a, a, a woman that I know, um, what lives in Denver and she said, uh, what's your address? I want to send you something. And I gave her my address and this package came in and she choked up about it. It's like this big. And arrived yesterday, and I open it up, and it's an illustration of some kind, but I didn't see it yet. And there was a card, and the card said, "I just want you to know um, that I've, I'm doing a lot of portrait work, and I usually do animals, but I don't do people. But you're the first person that I did, and I know that. So what I've been doing is taking, illustrating." Photographs of people who, with their dog that they lost, or their pet. That oh lost. God! Oh my God! And there was this feeling of, oh, I know what I'm about to see. Mm. Mm. And there, and she said, I, "I thank you so much for being, and thank you so much for unknowingly being my first model in this." And there was a stepping away from that. At that moment, that I didn't open up what the package was to live in the world of being, what's what am I about to see that's going to be so lovely and crushing? Yeah. And then I open it up, and it's a beautiful illustration of Boyd and me, a photograph that I've had that she illustrated. That was, I was stunned. Like hit. It hit you. Yeah. And you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the casting thing about that, where there's the moment that you see something that affects you on such a visceral level yes. that you know. Again, when you saw him, uh, uh, Alexi, right? Yeah. When you saw him, there was something that happened. It's a different feeling. Yeah. There's still that that kinesthetic response where you go, oh, yeah. What just happened? What's happening right now? Yeah. And it's not just beauty because we're surrounded by beauty, especially right. in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. People are beautiful. You know, it's just like, my God, did you buff that? Like, how right. do you look like that? Right. It's not that. I, I think I'm kind of immune to beauty because it doesn't necessarily carry character with it or mm. any sort of life experience. It's just whatever. It's just a package. Right. But there was something mm-hmm. about him that we all felt in the room, this is the guy. Right. Let's just do it. That's it's it. It's spirit yeah. underneath it yeah. that you feel because you're, you're available to that. 
Yes, you're yes. Opening yourself up to that, and again in casting, you're opening it up to so many facets of that of what's what would be the relationship that I would have, you would have with him. What's the relationship the audience would have with him? What's the relationship all the other characters would have with him? So when you're casting, you're not just casting for looks. You're casting for looks for sure, but you're also casting for that visceral kinesthetic response where he enters the scene, he shaves, you know, and you go, "What's happening right now?" It's. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, he ended up being coming one of my closest friends. I know. Which is so interesting that you know you 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 how many movies do you get to work on and plays and you travel and you find people and I always say it's like you collect you know you collect people and he and I went through uh, it wasn't an easy shoot we were an independent film in Spain and Greece and things happened and sometimes you have to wave your turnaround and you're on the set four hours later and I had to do a lot of rewriting because we couldn't get locations and there were the difficulties and you bond with somebody but it's usually that fades away it's the circus right it goes away but he's remained in our lives like he right. is such a good friend to Ian and me and he loves Laurie but he loves my daughter to the point where he knows exactly how to get me my daughter flirts outrageously with him, and I don't like sexualizing children, but I am telling you, she flirts with him because she says to him, will you please sleep over in my room? Oh. And she's seven years old. <laughs> so, and he goes, he goes, go ask your mom. <laughs> and so she comes to me and says, Alexi's going to sleep over? Can I have an extra pillow? And I go, wait, stop. And I go up to him and I say, I'll kill you with my bare hands. And then he says, I can't wait for you to be my mother-in-law. <laughs> That's evil. That's really evil. That's so evil. Oh, my God. It's evil. You do collect people. You do collect people. Yeah, and I, gotta, I have to tell you, I, you've changed my life. <gasps> I feel the same way about you. You've changed my life. Like you have, the people that you collect, you, there's, I'm going to say this in a way that I don't, it sounds hyperbolic, but you, you rescue people and help them to help themselves. I thank you for saying that because I, I was worried you were going to say that I help and I don't. I, I have had a lifetime now, well, 12 years since the movie came out of people saying to me, because of you, I wrote my own movie. No, it's not because of me. You had that in you. Right. You heard my story and you were like, what? It could happen to that Greek girl. It could right. happen to me. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but the idea, again, going back to the idea of, um, of the rescuing people and uh, helping people to help themselves. And you were saying that there's a, um, that people go, oh, I got it on you. Uh, you know, you, you showed me the way, you, you helped me do, you helped me write my own movie. Or whatever, however Because of you, I wrote my own movie. Right. And I say, no, not because of me. Right. No. Right. You, you always wanted to do it. And right. sometimes when you see, like I remember seeing Andrew Martin when I was a kid. Andrew Who Martin. Who I loved in Pippin, by the way. Oh, my God. She's amazing. She just is. She's got an, uh, a bottomless well of ideas and creativity. Right. Because talent is one thing. She's talented. A lot right. of people are talented. But they got to have fresh ideas. Mm-hmm. And she is still always digging. She loves to rehearse. She right. likes to look for stuff. And in, I remember in my Big Fat Greek Wedding, she kept trying to get the syntax right. Of um, She had to enter that scene and go, Ian, when you come to my house and I cook for you. And mm-hmm. it's a question. So she was practicing with me. I was on camera and she was entering the scene. And she was mouthing it to me. When you come to my house. And I was like, yes, like that. And she entered the scene and she 
forgot what she was about to say, and instead she improvised, Ian, let me touch your hair. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then when she was touching it, she kept going, oh, (laughs) oh. (laughs) But I remember seeing her and thinking, wait a minute, she looks like me. Mm-hmm. When I, and that's so uh-huh. I said to her when I met her, you know what, because of you, I pursued acting. And then, you know, I, I just remember thinking, well, wait, I was going to do it anyway. Right. That you see somebody and they, they don't blaze a path for you. They just sort of show you it can be done and then you do it. Right. Um, my, my, my sister's boyfriend... My sister's boyfriend, um, he had some challenges with drinking and he went away for a while. And he's, he, they live in Chicago and he went to Vegas to be with some friends and to just be with friends and family and stuff like that. And Rachel's like, I can't take you the way you are right now. And he went away. Like a leave of absence. A leave of absence. And yet Rachel still loves him and wants to get and wants the old uh, guy back. Um and it's what we were just talking about, talking about what we were talking about. I just got lost in, in her challenge. Um, Helping themselves? Yes, yes, yes. So my mom said, so she, he's coming back. And my mom said, I want you to talk to her and help her, you know, see that this might be a problematic, him coming back. And I said, I can't do that. Yeah. She's an adult. And people are going to, this is my point, people are going to do what it is that they're going to do when they do it. And my telling her to do it is not going to change. She my knows telling, that. Right. And yeah. it's you saying, I was going to be an actor anyway. And in spite of, you didn't rely on somebody else to help you. You just said, I just needed an acknowledgement. Yeah. I just needed somebody to go, or a model. Yeah. That's what it really is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also the model that we, we live our lives as, as models too. Like the rescuing I'm I'm being very, I don't want to use the word rescuing, but I'm still using that word. Rescuing people and having them help themselves. That's a model too. Right. Well, well, okay. So what you're referring to with you and me, Mm -hmm. you and I were at a wedding. Right. And you said, you confided that you had a situation that you were less than happy in. No, this is the way that I remember it. Okay. We were by the fire pit. We were by the fire pit. Mm -hmm. And I remember you saying this. So I was um, marrying these two, officiating two Mm -hmm. of our friends in their marriage. I was officiating that marriage and this was in March or April or May? I think, um, I'm not sure. We'll say, we'll say around that time. March, Mm -hmm. April, May. And I was sitting there and I, and I was married and I was officiating this wedding and there was people drinking afterwards. And I remember you coming up to me by the fire pit and saying, I just want you to know that if you ever need a place to stay, you can stay at our guest house. And I thought, why would you say that? Why would you say that? Because I don't know, you know, it's, I, it was probably obvious to everybody but me what was happening. You, I've known you for so long, and I felt that you were not being supported to be the best you you could be right. in your current situation. I was at that wedding by myself because Ian had gone back east because his dad was sick. He was having surgery. Right. So I remember it being a moment where you actually, when you're not in a couple, sometimes you actually look up. Mm-hmm. And I was observing stuff at right. that wedding. I had a great week. People stayed at our house. Uh, bridesmaids came down from Toronto, and it was really great. And we had a great time. And then at that, I remember just seeing you. And I call it a shadow self of your, you know, when you actually stop and your real feeling is on your body. 
you see it in people. I see it when I'm speaking on my book tour. I see people watching me and experiencing their own pain through my story. And I, it's, it's hard for me to disconnect sometimes because I can feel the palpable grief of a room sometimes, of a lost one, a loved one, a lost job, a career, a life choice. It's, it's interesting because the book is really not about adoption at all. It's about right. being be happy, right. get one chance at it. So I remember looking over at you and thinking, my friend's not happy. Right. And I took a chance because, you know, when you say something to somebody that they could be like, um, none of your business. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I actually, right. I, I, I was um, at the height Which of... Which I wasn't, didn't take it that way. You did not. Right. No. In I did fact, not take it that way. All you, I remember that there were not, were, it was filmic. There weren't a lot of words between us. And then days later, you appeared at our door. It wasn't days later. It was six months later. Was it? It was October. Oh my God! I it was, feel like it was October. <gasps> no, it was October. You're absolutely that, right because it was a spring wedding because right. it was Greek Easter. <laughs> that's how I measure things too. That's it. Um, <laughs> I was Greek Easter but, that weekend. Yeah, and it Greek was that. And I was thinking, why were you saying that? And then I started to then and and I think that in my it's that same thing we're talking about where you there's a modeling that's being done. Um, there's something, a suggestion that's being made and uh, there's a suggestion that's being made, a modeling that's being done and you look at it and then you sit back and you, you, you are then inspired. It's inspiration and what you, that was was inspiration for me. It was inspiration for me and it wasn't, you never said, leave your wife, you never said anything like that but in that sentence that you said to me, if you ever need a you know, place to stay, you can stay with us. At that moment, that, would, that inspired me it wasn't like, oh, it was that moment of what's happening. Something's happening. Yeah. And I need to be aware of what's happening. I get to be aware of what's happening. Yeah. This is profound. Yeah. And it was profound in such a soft, a soft spoken way because it was sort of voce. It was that, you know, that was, it was an undercurrent of listen. And that, and when things are broached in that fashion, people hear them more than when they're, you and your wife are not getting along when it's broached in such a soft way that it touches you in a way instead of punching at you in a way. Yeah, although punching, look, sometimes people hear a message after they've been punched, after right. they've been kicked, after they've been yelled at, after uh -huh. something directly, and then you smell an orange slice and remember the feeling that you had drinking Fanta with your girlfriend in high school and how happy you were. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's a relationship. I'm not happy. Right. <laughs> it's a connect, connect, connect that right. gets you to a point sometimes where, and I just, I'm a firm believer in process. Right, aren't we? We are, yeah. we all are. Yeah, you and get to is... a point. Screenplay writing too, oh my God, every studio is like, I wanna do something different. I give them a super different, and they're like, oh, we can't do that. And then right. they form it, form it, form it, homogenize, right. and then it's Which out. Which is their process. Yes. <laughs> that is it, right, yeah. right. But, you know, the Second City experience, the experience of the career that we have, and to know that we have no idea what the fuck is gonna happen. No. No, that's why I eat chocolate every day. <laughs> right? Every day, 3 to 5 p.m., somewhere in there, I have a piece of chocolate. Because you, cause you, cause you got... You, cause it you might got... be that I might get hit by a bus. Right. And then I don't want... I say it in my book. I don't want the last thought to be, should have had the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I loved your book so much. I just loved it so much. It made me cry. Mm. It just made me cry. And for me, I haven't... You know, I just... Even if I didn't know you so well, it would still make me cry. It, I've never, 
I've never, I'm so excited to talk to you right now. I've never, I've never seen you do that before. I've never seen you be so open to the public in that way. You've known me for so long and didn't know this private story. That's how private I was about it. Right. You are one of my closest friends. Mm. And you lived in my guest house for two years, should I, I have told you. Right. But I, yeah, I was in it while you were there, and I did not confide in anybody. But when I started to really rail against the uh, incredibly undervalued uh, pursuit of happiness that we are all allowed, I really got real, I really, really, I super really, I, I was annoyed with myself that I had a voice in my head telling myself that I was a failure for years and I kept it hidden. I didn't seek therapy. I just felt um, less than because for the simple reason that I couldn't procreate biologically. Right. And you know, I always say to women too, when women are like, she said this to me, did you hear what that, I'm like, ah, ah. nobody ever says anything to us that is any worse than the voice in our own heads. Oh yeah. We're terrible to ourselves. And when we agree with somebody who doesn't even know who the fuck you are, like when they say, hey, this, and you go, that? What, that? And you start taking that on? Yeah. It's not fair to you. Yeah, well, we're supposed to be empathetic creatures. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. It's hard to stay open and and still not be a walking, weeping wound. Right. And I was trying to keep it together because I did not want to grieve when I felt that people really have grief. It was the time that I was going through infertility, there was Katrina. There right. was the Gulf War. There was... Afghanistan, there were the horrible, horrible things were happening and I was getting letters from people who were enjoying my movies and telling me their terrible stories and how they had managed to go on. So I did not dare to grieve for myself and right. my situation. I just kept trying to get past it, move past it, go past it, which right. is what I do. And it's not a process. It's not. You cannot, I think, you cannot pass through grief quickly. This is what I think about grief because I remember for me, Grief is the most interesting of emotions that we have. And I remember when we put Boyd down, the dog, and I remember, um, how do I say it? I, I want to say wallowing, but it's not wallowing. It's engaging in the grief mm -hmm. and, admit, and, 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 and celebrating the grief. Mm -hmm. Because grief is the interesting, it's, it's the only combo platter emotion that I know. Because it's sadness, but it's love. It's love. You it's don't, love and sadness. Yeah. You don't cry about something that doesn't matter to you. Right. And so in those moments, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm alive right now. And you get to feel that feeling of grief. Because I, you can't fake grief. And grief grounds you to this earth saying, I am, there's something that I love here yeah. and I'm going to miss it. Yes. Yes. But I love it because you can't be humiliated and, 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 and surprised. You know, it's, you, our emotions are one thing or another thing, mm -hmm. uh, except for grief. Mm -hmm. Don't you think? Grief is and you said necessary. Right. Necessary. If you don't grieve, what are you going to, it's, it's yin yang. You must experience loss to right. know what happiness is. And I know that now. But at the time, I kept pushing it down, so I was uh, numb.
for years, numb, like a machine. You want me to write this script for you? I'll write it, I'll put it out. You guys had a lot of parties and you celebrated those things. You had great celebrations and it was just, and and it was like you fucking put together and all that stuff was happening and these, and and your house is beautiful and you, you, you know, you were laughing and connecting and it was just gorgeous to see. But that's, but that's real, yes, right? But that's that, also part, right? Yeah. And that's you going. I'm going to do this, so I don't have to look at that. That's, that's exactly what I did. Right. I I literally said I'm going to have a lot of parties. I'm going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to live life to the fullest. I'm going to put it behind me. But you can't put it behind you until you open it up. Here's the thing about putting it behind you. Put this is such an interesting phrase because you don't. Yes, you put it behind you, but it doesn't make it go away. It just makes it behind you. Right. It's still there. I, I literally wrote that, that it's there. It's like an annoying little sibling tap, tapping you on the shoulder and look at me, look at me. You know what? That's where that came from. Because I used that. Your book is where that came from because you wrote that, right? In mm-hmm. your book. Because I use that when I'm teaching and that's where it came from. It was the ego outside of the room saying, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And just waiting for you to doubt yourself and then it opens up the door and mm-hmm. it's the tiny little you that you're most embarrassed about. And for me, it's the 14, 13, 14 year old David with a big nose, horn rim glasses, buck teeth, bad, bad skin and stinky and wondering where are these pubic hairs coming from or will I ever get them? You know what I mean? Yeah. And you let that thing in and then you engage with it. It will never go away. It's never gonna go away. No. But what will come into your life is the practice of disengagement. Of right. saying, I'm not going to engage with that little voice outside. Right. I think that, that uh, grief is, is, is best kept with you. Because you, as opposed to what? As opposed to pushing it away. Yes. Pushing it away or going, saying, I'm through it, I'm past it. Right. It's, it's okay to say, this happened and I have experienced this. Because mm-hmm. you, you experience gratefulness and all the things that come with it after you've looked grief right in the face. Uh, and grief doesn't go away. No. I don't think it goes away. And because again, what we're talking about with that, that illustration that, that, that Deb made mm-hmm. for me, and uh, Deb Holtgren made me this illustration, I looked at it and I was immediately drawn to, I missed that dog. Mm-hmm. And then the crying happened again. And the crying wasn't like, here we go again. It's like, oh, I love something so much that right now I'm having this kinesthetic response and I'm crying. Yeah. What a fucking beautiful experience that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just had a moment where I remember where you would open Boyd's mouth and yell into his head, I love you so much. Right. I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing to do. Really he would do. love it. <laughs> he would love it. He would go, <laughs> But we get the, we also, that's the, the collector is he, the fact that he followed Katie to work one day. Katie was walking to work and he felt, you remember the story? Yeah. He followed Katie to work one day. And so we're all open to these creatures that are, that are, that are, that we, we decide to hang around with and to have, and those things that are in our lives, we choose to have them in mm-hmm. our lives. Oh and, yeah. We found Louie on the street. Well, Manny is the great healer, I think, because when I wanted to be a parent so badly, we had rented a beach house and I saw these two labs go by every day and the woman walking them looked so happy and I was like, I want to be her. I want to be so happy-go-lucky walking labs in the morning and I thought, oh wait, I can. So I went on petfinder.com, put in our zip code and Manny popped up and within days we were his parents. It, well, it's it such was a, cool. It's such a part of your book too. Yeah, it was, it, for he me. Yeah, I think that there's there's a certain thing that I was experiencing in that I wanted to take care of something. Right. And that 
you know, he's laying here at our feet for all the listeners. Manny is a big yellow lab that we found in a pound. He'd been, he'd been abandoned. And we, he's just an amazing creature. Right. Now I'm going to get weepy about my doggie. Right. But he's a good boy. He's a very good boy. He's, he's always such late. a good boy. And then the other barker that you heard earlier is Louie, who we found on a walk. Louie was running along the sidewalk in Hancock Park with a half-chewed rope around his neck and a bite out of his ear. Right. Terrible. But you also had that other dog, too. We had Trudy Trouble. Trudy Trouble. Bad, but not, not well, Trudy Trouble. Yeah, she was untrainable, that dog, and she um, found her way into our home, and we thought, okay, we got to get her adopted. She had a chip, and we tracked down her parents, and uh, they said they didn't want her anymore. They said, that dog's untrainable. We took her back to the shelter. I guess she ran away, which is bullshit. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's terrible. You just abandoned her. You're a terrible, terrible person, I, I think I heard Ian saying on the phone. <gasps> right. Really, so, Ian I think said Ian just that? said, you're a bad person. Goodbye. Or something. I think he did. He was really mad because oh you don't God. do that. You no, just don't. You don't do so that. Then Wait, we... I, want to, I, want to, I want to wrap my head around Ian like saying to somebody, you're a terrible person. Yeah. I love that so Yeah, much. he just said, that sounds like a fake story. No, no. <laughs> That's what he said? Yeah, I just patro- called him on it. No, you know. <laughs> God. It's a fake story. Oh, God. We're so mad. So then we were like, Trudy, we are going to get you taken care of. So right. we put out, it, the reason that we couldn't adopt her, we had Manny, we had just become parents, and she was at all times putting her mouth around Ilaria's leg. Ilaria was almost three years old, and she was putting her mouth around Ilaria's leg as if to test how quickly she could bite it when we weren't in the room. Like, as if she was like, let me see, it. this is just a swallow test. Stay with me, people. So we just were like that, and then she'd bite us. One time she ate an entire doorknob. Like a doorknob. You know how the old house that was, 1920s oh, yeah, 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 yeah. house. So she was, and she chewed through screens, and you know, there were holes in the guest house constantly, and we were, it was just trouble. So um, we found a woman who was going to try to train her, and she uh, was helping us, and she said, This is a, a very interesting situation. Well, I was on a plane coming back from New York. And I opened the in-flight magazine, and it said, uh, Animals of California. And I was looking at them like, oh, there's a raccoon, there's this, there's that. And I saw a whole bunch of different dogs and all these animals, and I saw Trudy. (gasps) I saw a picture. I was like, oh, but there she is. And so I looked closer to see what kind of animal, what kind of dog is she. And it said right below her, coyote. (laughs) She's done. She was a goddamn coyote. She was a coyote. She was not a dog. She was a coyote. A coyote is kind of a dog. It was a coyote. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. And, and, and you know what's great about my totally forgetting about that? I got to be surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got so to be, we went, a coyote. when I landed, yeah, yeah, yeah. I called Ian and I said, uh, Trude is a coyote. <laughs> and Ian, I think Ian picked up a lorry and ran out of the house. And then we called the woman who was training her. And I said, listen, I just, and I told her the story that, I just told you, and she said, yeah, I've been suspecting that myself. Yeah, and she said, I'm, I'm going to tell you about a farm. And she said, there is this beautiful lesbian couple that takes in dogs that I can't train, and um, she'll be happy there, and we'll send you pictures, and we did it. We did it, and they sent us all these funny letters of, Trudy's so happy, she's outside all the time, and uh, she loves to howl at the hill of coyotes. <laughs> She's probably going, Aunt Mary, come get me. Help me. Oh, the police. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
Oh, oh yeah, I remember that. Do you remember um, uh, Tamara's roommate, who shall remain nameless, a Second City Canadian? Uh, she had a dog named Buddy. Yeah. That was trouble. That dog bit me. Yeah. And that dog also bit that. I don't remember. It bit a little girl. Oh. Bad scene. Bad scene. Bad scene. Yeah. Bad scene. Yeah. That is. That is. Uh... That is an, we, we tell, we always say we, we're going to go visit Trudy Trouble and you know, we, I feel like we did the best thing for her, mm-hmm. but it's such an indication of how naive Ian and I are. Mm-hmm. I mean, that we would take in a coyote is like. <laughs> right, right. Look at a kitten. That's a rat. Yeah. It's not a kitten. It's a rat. I'm sorry. It's not a kitten. It's a rat. But we do have, we do, again, we've got, those are the greatest stories. The stories can you imagine if, if everything went well in your life? I know you'd be bored, right? Yeah. If something, whenever, whenever something, you, like when you have a gathering, uh-huh. and John Matter will always say something like, "So, Dave, um, who are you dating?" Yeah, yeah. And everybody goes, "There's some stories here." We all put our forks down because like, <laughs> we live vicariously through your dating life. Exactly, and it's never good. Um, it's okay sometimes, but there's always something going on, and you know that I'm going to be frank with all of you guys and talk in ways that we should never talk to outside of this sanctuary. That's right. Um, but I think about people saying, "Oh, was it, I, I, well, you've been on Facebook. It was the worst experience. I'm having a hell of a day. It was just really, really hard." It's like step back from that, yeah, and just know that this there's a richness here. I, I've I've got letters from people that say. I watched my big fat Greek wedding while I cared for my mother. I have lost the use of both my limbs. I was uh, a fighter pilot and you just, it just stops me in my tracks that these people go on. Right. You know, sometimes I'll get a follow-up letter. I wrote you a few years ago I, and I wanted you to know that I have met a man on Plenty of Fish and you know, it's like, <laughs> oh. My God. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a hell of a day. We don't get to say I had a hell of a day. I couldn't find a parking spot. Right. They right. do. I don't, I, I, I don't look at those. I don't look at things in that way. It was like, this is a really bad experience. I, whenever the word bad or hate or those words come up, I'm really aware of saying it and saying, do I really hate that? No, you're the, but that's what's so great about you. You are... Uh, an experiencer of life. Mm-hmm. You truly are, which is why, even though we know it's a terrible thing that you're telling us, and that she did this, and then that happened, and then you might have said this, and right. it was bad, yeah. mm-hmm. which I love that you have full ownership of the right. mistakes that you make in your relationships. But too. they're not mistakes. <laughs> See? That's what I love about Dave. They just happen. They just happen. Because, you know, if I could, it, they just happen. And when they happen, I get to sit back and go, well, that happened. Yeah. And I go, that happened and that happened. And and I don't know how I got to that point. But, you know, again, my the, the, the fact that my marriage ended when it ended, it didn't fail. Yeah. It ended. Yes. And, and the marriage ended, but... You know what happened was something else began. 
again, it's like the Phoenix thing where, where out of the ashes or something comes this great thing. Yeah. So what was it? I get to hang out with you guys for a year or whatever it was. I got to really just chill out and look at a swimming pool and, you know, hang out with Jen who came by yeah. and, and, and live that You had your birthday night. there. That was fun. We right. got to meet your students. Right. Like, it was really great. And the first party that you had that, had, uh, you know, Alanis came by and like all this party and Jen was part of my life and going, oh, there's joy. And it's what you're saying. There's joy that needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever it is that you're focusing on is where your energy is going. And whatever your energy is going, that's, that becomes the suit that you put on. So if I want to say everything's bad, well, then everything in your life you're going to see is bad. Yeah. You understand? But it, oh, listen, I, I know I've seen it where people go back to their com comfortable place of concern, their comfortable place of worry. Mm -hmm. I've seen it, you know, and I just can't do it. I can't. I cannot go like recheck like, oh, what am I going to worry about now? No. I, I lived in that place constantly of like trying to become a parent, trying to, this match didn't work and this match didn't work and this match, what the, and now I get it. Oh, I get it. I was supposed to be my daughter. Right. I was supposed to write this book. Right. I was supposed to, they were donating the proceeds to get kids adopted worldwide. I've gotten the letters now and the pictures of this. We were matched with these two boys. What the? Right. So I have now made such sense of an uncomfortable, unhappy time that now I'm kind of like, what else you got? Right. What's going to happen next? Uh, I think right. I'm living like you better now. There's that phrase that uh, Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith has, who used to be your neighbor from Agape Spiritual Center. Oh, I'm yeah, talking. yeah. He, you know, hip black couple, really gorgeous people. And he has this line of whenever something challenging comes into his life, he, he does this thing where he sits back, he puts his hand behind his head, and he says, I cannot wait to find out how the universe is going to take care of this one. Wow. Wow. I don't think I'm that evolved. I think it's I, a practice. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to roll up my sleeve. One thing I've gotten good on the good at though is on every project I do, everything, there is Ian has this. When he starts a new um, you know, TV show, film, if he guest stars or whatever, he says the first person to talk to you on every set is the last person you want to talk to. Because that's the person that nobody else is talking to anymore. <laughs> that's the dude that comes up and goes, Hey man, let me show you around. Watch out for her, she's a bitch. Right? <laughs> that's the guy that ever that I have a theory that on every film I start, everything, I wait, I wait, I wait, and sure enough. There's the person. There's the energy vampire. There's right. the person who's going to be our problem. Right. DP, that actress, it's always somebody. And it's almost a relief when you find that person because I believe if you can't spot the asshole that everyone's talking about, it's you. Right. So, <laughs> right? So it's good. It's good. You're like, oh, it's her. It's her. She's my problem. Right. And what I don't agree with is that a lot of directors will run over and be like, how can I help you? That's the energy vampire. They're sucking what could be the director's energy on setting a better shot, on right. helping this actor who's shy come out of their shell. Right. I don't believe in going toward the energy vampire anymore, and I used to. At Second City, I got so involved in, this person's having problems, I'm going to help them. No. Now I just go, save it for your therapist couch. It's so interesting because I feel the same way. I can't tell you how many times scenes have, have ha uh, at Second City where you go, oh, nobody's working with Carla, you know, and, and why isn't anybody working with Carla? 
I'm going to work with Carla. And in the meantime, the other five people in the cast have scenes that are going up. And she goes like, no, no, don't you see? You're a troll. And be more trolly. And let's bring in this big set piece. And you'll come in wearing a hat that's made out of chandelier pieces. And you're going, and everybody else's, their scenes are going up. And you're going, you're sucking my creativity. Yeah. You are sucking it because you shouldn't be here. God. Yeah. That's such a hard yeah. thing to say. God. Yeah. It's different from on the schoolyard where you see somebody not playing with somebody. That person is usually the most interesting person on the play yard. Right. That person has created a world of dragons and unicorns and is wonderful. Right. And not maybe social. The energy vampire is usually a person who gets in their own way. Right. And now you're in their... You're sucked in. Right. And it's uh, it's hard. I, I, you know, I've seen bad behavior on sets that... It would just curl your eyelashes. It's unbelievable. We were talking last night. I was uh, I was over at uh, Carrie and Paul's place. Uh, Carrie Clifford and Paul Basie. Who have, they, um, you know, she has, uh, you know, she has a, a son now. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, uh, a surrogate. Crazy. That's awesome. Fantastic. Surrogate. Crazy. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I'll show you pictures. But um, he was saying that he worked with this person uh, who I worked with as well, who had a television show. That uh, it's a one-name person, mm-hmm. and she was married to a guy that has two first names, um, uh, and uh, she was a stand-up, and she was large, and there was a woman on the cast who was from Steppenwolf, and a guy that is George uh, John John Goodman, but I'm not gonna say what this woman's name. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you really raised the bar. All right, I raised the bar. That's exactly what happened. I raised the bar. Nicely done. <laughs> he did it. It was good. So she was the meanest person I've ever met. Wow. And she was. I could not believe how mean she was. And how closed off she was. And I'm so glad. I was on, it, it, she was just the cruelest person I've ever worked with, ever. And I'm thinking, how does anybody work around somebody like that? Yeah. How do you, because if I feel like I can't, it's the same thing, it's exactly being a parent. Where if your child thinks that she can't say anything, or if your child thinks that, oh, I can't do that, or I, instead of just opening up a conversation, being knowing that we're, we have a creative thing that's going to come out of that, on that set, Everyone was so scared. So scared. Yeah. And then that's it. Creativity is dead. If you're not, you have to be willing to have egg on your face comedically. Right. To take chances. And that's where the most beautiful, spontaneous things come. Well, your Andrea Martin story about the, I want to touch your hair. Yeah. Like that thing. There's no mistakes. There are no mistakes. No, there are no mistakes. And that's that, I think, is where the best writing comes from, too. That's why I don't outline when I write. I just mm-hmm. write. I just go. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, the WGA has almost killed creativity with the way that we're paid. There are several steps. The first is the outline. The second is the first draft. And then the, the rewrite after mm-hmm. notes. And then the polish. And the outline is like a painter saying, not to say that I'm some great artist. I'm just saying for the creative process. Right. It's like a painter saying, I'm going to do a painting for you over your couch. It's going to have some blue in it. And then I'm going to be- blend the blue into the green, and I'm going to create a river. Right. Instead of just, here is your painting. Right. And have you go, oh, it's me and Boyd. Right. And that, I think, is the worst way to create. And how I wrote my Big Fat Greek Wedding, I didn't have a buyer, so I just wrote it right. without <clears throat> input. Right. And it was pure. And then they gave me fantastic notes. The script was long, and mm-hmm. they, they just said, 
stay on the story. Right. And that was it. That's right. really the, the extent of their notes. They held my hand through the process, never let me feel like any question I asked was stupid. Right. And man, I, I still ask stupid questions. That's okay. Because I don't care. Right. Yeah. And that's how I wrote Instant Mom. Didn't show it to anybody. Right. Sat in a room. HarperCollins said, you can write any book you want, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. That's all any writer wants to hear. Because I had said, Sam, I want to write a how to adopt book. And I'll put some funny little personal anecdotes in it. It'll be funny and light. Because I find it's a very unregulated world. And I'd like to put that out there on how to adopt from all over the world. And they said, you know, that. You can write any book you want. So I went away. And as I started to write, I felt that here's this child. We met Ilaria when she was almost three years old. The bravest person I know walks into our home and lets us be her parents and is so mad at the situation that she protects herself by punching and kicking and right. not sleeping and watching us. Right. Like, don't eat me. Right. Don't put me in a soup, you people, whoever you are. Mm -hmm. And really is so incredible how incrementally she let us be her parents. She's in process. Yeah. Yeah. She let us... She was like, I'll give you, here's a, here's a chance for me to trust you. Oh, you passed that test. I will trust you. Right. And then the process, it's ongoing, right? right. It's ongoing. Now as she's eight and she starts to ask questions about her birth parents, mm -hmm. we're in a process. You know, right. this is a process. But so It's as, not her process. It's y'all's process. Yeah. We're a family. That's it. We're so, we're so bonded, but I must acknowledge and, and respect that there's a birth family. And we do. We bring them up. And we talk about them, and we don't know anything about them, but we speculate because that's respectful for her mm -hmm. to talk. So as I was writing the story about her, I thought, what a chicken shit I am, that I just want to make it a funny little manual. Mm -hmm. That's just wrong. Just so wrong. You can't write that. No, you can't. When I say you can't write that, what I mean is it's not that you're not allowed to write that. It's like you're unable to write that. That's not what your output one needed to be. Yeah. I, I had... I had sections like what is foster adoption what is international adoption funny story well, foster adoption is what worked for us international adoptions worked for our friends like mm -hmm. that's what the book was right. and then i got to the point of the day that she came to live with us we had 14 hours notice right. suddenly she's in our home manny boy manny lie down lie down you're a good boy you're a good boy yeah yeah you're a good boy and you had 14 hours we had 14 hours notice, um, and suddenly Ilaria walked in our door, and we were instantly a family, and instantly in the situation of um, how do we get this child to trust us enough to eat and to sleep and to do all the things that a very scared child needs to do to be able to wake up and eat and sleep right. and, and, and live. Right. And uh, I had to really find ways to it wasn't about me i no. couldn't take it right. as a rejection when she punched me in the crotch i had to reverse my head instead of like ow that hurts i had to go wow she must be scared right and right and that was mm. a, 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 the only way that it worked you know what happens like at that moment at that moment okay so there's this book called um search inside yourself and i've talked about it on the podcast before he talks about this thing called the sacred breath and the sacred breath is when you get punched in the crotch, and and what you would historically do is lash out, uh -huh. right? But he talks about this, what I call in improv, the sacred pause, where you take that moment and you go, you know what? Historically, I'll get angry right now, but I'm going to look at what just happened 
and I'm not going to take that tack. I'm going to live in this and say, what's happening right now? Because this isn't about you. It's about her. Am I making sense there? Very much. I want to know how you teach your students. What, what, how, how does it apply to improv? So you tell them in the moment when okay, they get an so offer. So you and I are doing a scene. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is we're doing a scene. And you are like, so you're in the scene. You're scared. In the scene, you're scared. And then I say something, that sacred pause. Uh-huh. And you go, oh, emotionally, I was just changed. And so I'll start out that way. Say, okay, let's do a scene right now. And I'll say to the class, say there when that person has that sacred pause. When they take that in. Because it's a kinesthetic response. That's like, amazing. You know. So at that moment, yeah. then you go, that happened. And then people are suddenly aware of this emotional thing that yeah. happens in their life. Yeah. Not just emotion. Um, a visceral thing. Your heartbeat changes. Your breath changes. Like all that. Your shape changes. You don't want to sit like that anymore. Now you want to sit like that. So at this moment, should you not accept that sacred pause, then you're going to have to pretend to feel the feeling that you were feeling prior to feeling the new feeling that you're feeling. Great. That's fantastic. I remember thinking in an improv, uh, after an improv, uh, Tracy Thorpe and I were doing a scene and it was going really, really well. And then I took the tape home a couple days later and I had been proud of us in that scene for weeks, you know. Anyway, I took the tape home and I looked at it and I realized that the choice that we made was instigated by Mark Levinson changing something on the piano. The, he's the, 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 the accompanist. The accompanist. Right, we were improvising in the scene and he did a dun-dun, something in the scene. And we felt it. I hadn't even heard it in the scene and we went a different way. Yep. And the scene got really good. Right. And that was... I, I loved his, I loved everything he did underneath us. I totally us. agree. I yeah. totally agree. And he was, again, he's, he's what I call deep tissue listening. He's listening on a very different level than what just is just hearing yeah. the sound of it all. And you at that moment weren't aware that you had that change, yeah. but you had that change. Yeah. Fred Cass used to do it. And because I remember doing a scene that Fred accompanied, Fred was uh, somehow was on main stage and Fred was playing the piano and Fred did the scene. And I, later on, and, and Fred was there, and I said, oh, and then I made this choice, and, he, and somebody I was talking to, maybe Danny Breen or somebody who had just happened to see the, the scene, he said, no, you didn't make that choice. I said, no, I was in that scene. He said, Fred made that choice. Yeah. And you didn't know, and you were listening to it, and he told you where to go. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Mark, I was proud of us for that period of time, and then realized, oh, I'm so proud of Mark. Yeah. He took us in a place. But I love that deep tissue listening. listening that's good. That's good. But that's, it goes back to Alexi. That yeah. you were deep tissue. You were looking at him, but you weren't looking. You weren't seeing this this form. You were listening on a heartfelt level because your brain's an asshole and a liar and wants to throw you off. But your heart and your gut—that's what drives you. Oh, that's so interesting. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I thought our genitals were assholes and liars and throw no. us off. No, your brain is. <laughs> but but your genitals, your. Your genitals are that's where that's where the inspiration comes from, right? Everything. Yeah. Because that's the that's the that's the breadbasket. That's where food is produced. That you know, that's where humans are produced, that's where life lives. In that. And when you don't listen to that, which which keeps us as a species moving, and you know, you start listening to your brain, it's that little girl outside that you're talking about. Yeah. That you don't have to really talk about anymore. Yeah. Or you're engaged. Right. I say that too. When, when people are writing, there's a voice in your head constantly saying, you're a fraud, no one's going to buy this. Right. You just have to open the door and put that person outside. It's so interesting because when you say that, I see you in your office, in your, in your apartment, in your house in Arden. 
you type there. No, uh-huh. no, no, maybe the, the, the last house that you had. Uh-huh. And I just see you in that room with <laughs> the typewriter. I don't know why. And I see that door closing and you deciding not to let that world inside yeah. because you need to uh, gestate. Yeah, Ian described to Rose and John one night what he does while I write because for the longest time I was doing a ton of voiceover work and my job, that was my job during the day, I would do voiceover work. Like I was um, for t- no test. For Nestle Toll House cookies, mm-hmm. you would see a family, and then at the end, you'd hear, Toll House bakes the very best, and that's my job. And then I was, for Bud Light, I would go, um, you'd see guys on a dock, and they'd be fishing, and you'd hear me go, it's what guys do best. And I made good money, yeah. but that was not a way to write. Mm. But I wanted to write that screenplay, so I would, that was the first house, or probably even the apartment, uh-huh. that on, on uh, Hillside, as in right, Strangler. Right, Runyon. Where that? Yeah, uh-huh. And I would close the door and write. Well, Ian to- showed John and Rose what he does. He has an elaborate ice cream sundae making process that <laughs> I don't hear one bit of. I'm up there sleeping away thinking, wait, is this character arcing enough? Well, let me think, okay, what external forces can I bring into act two? And Ian's downstairs building the most extravagant three types of ice cream, whipped cream, sauce. sauce. Got it all. And then he sits in front of the TV and has headphones on and watches The Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> love you guys so much I can't take it I can't take it and and (laughs) it's so great look at this house look at the community the community I cannot wait for Thanksgiving I cannot wait because I miss hanging out with everybody I know well you traveled a lot this summer yeah I did yeah we missed each other a lot yeah yeah but it's also the the creative forces that have all come together like all these people that we have in our lives that are just so fucking inspiring and funny funny people are funny people oh my are god funny. and we surround ourselves with really funny people because i don't want to be and we 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 all have friends in our lives where you go we can't be friends anymore yeah and you make healthy. that decision it's healthy yeah. it's healthy and it hurts but it's like we've reached a point where where we've reached a point where this is this is all about triage. It's all about triage. It's just about put patching things where it's like, let's just move on. Well, like when you said when your marriage ended, it's the same with when someone leaves a job. They leave that job. It ends. Right. It's not a failure. It's not, oh, I've worked here seven years and none of those count. It's about moving on and then creating the next place that you're going to be. What I love about everyone in our group is we've been through a lot. A lot. I can't. Bl- I, I gotta tell you, I can't believe how many women have had cancer. Yeah, it's very strange. I'm gonna touch wood. It's right. very strange of the core, as we call ourselves. It's very strange, and everyone is really in that place of almost like a uh, like a crazy gratefulness. Like the book you made for Brian Blondell for his birthday party. Oh, you saw that. Oh my God, I love it. He brought it over. <laughs> oh, I we did. cried in Malibu. Oh, that's great. It's so great, and but. That is a moment where Rose, who has had cancer and is now in remission, Rose said, well, let's go. Let's go. And I was on my book tour, came back for a night and came because I'm not going to miss anything. Let's That's go where? How, to Vegas. Oh, yeah. Right. And we right, all went right, to right, Vegas. Right, 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 right. We're not, that, we're not those people. No. But now we are. Right. Right. That was one of the greatest. That was, that was this year, right? Yeah. That was like, what's going on? May. Yeah. That was May. Mm-hmm. And to, again, to have all these people in our lives... And we're, we're, I think we're really chill. And we let everybody be everybody. 
Yeah, we do, we definitely make fun of each other to the point where you. Uh, I just sent out an, after I told we had been talking about this, and mm-hmm. then I asked you to come for Thanksgiving. Right. Well, then I sent out this email to everybody about Thanksgiving. Like, mm-hmm. by the way, we're doing it. The abuse on this email. I wish. I'm sorry that I had, but it's unbelievably funny of everyone just going back and forth. But it was also wasn't that the one with uh, with uh, Ford with the Toronto Mayor Ford? Oh yeah, that one that too. That really yeah. got like that got really that got really personal really quickly really quick. in an awesome way yeah uh, because you, know, you get Mark DiCarlo you know immediately going after Renee right yeah going after just immediately <laughs> going after Renee yeah <laughs> oh she goes I see what you did there right exactly. <laughs> one line email my god everyone's so funny oh, she's so beautiful. this is a group by the way that loves the reply all right we just do right right, right. and very often I feel like I sit back and go oh the people I can't wait I can't wait it's like snowball I'm gonna step back and watch it go down the mountain um all right let's stop there that was an hour thank you so much that's a lot of talking oh I love it it's just like hanging out you know what I loved about it it was like hanging out for a really long time at one of our parties but no one interrupted us right today's episode was sponsored by GoDaddy thinking about starting a new website GoDaddy is offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. Go to GoDaddy.com and enter the code ADDcomedy at checkout or click on the GoDaddy banner on our website, ADDcomedy.com. Hello, ADD Comedy Podcast listeners. Dave Rosowski here. First off, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And second off, if you've ever wanted to take a class with me but thought, gosh, I don't think I'll ever be around where David is, Know that you can now take the virtual class at iActing. Just check our website out, and there's a link there. Click on that link, and that will set you up. you got to do a little hunting, but I think that it's well worth it. We'll hear you in your ears. Bye. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on ADD Comedy, you can visit our website at www.theaddcomedytour.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ADD Comedy Pod. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you're interested in taking a class with Dave, you can find that information at his website at www.davidrozowski.com. Sound services for the ADD Comedy Podcast was brought to you by Post Apocalyptic.